here we are at church doing our thing, and I, I hope we don't miss out. And, and what I mean by that is this. I love coming to church. I, I love being here. I love walking in the morning, turning on lights, hearing the worship team, get, getting their vocal cords ready and, and preparing their hearts to lead. I, I, I love just seeing people walk in and, and hearing their stories. I love seeing past students come back and, and, and worship with us. It's just amazing. And, and I hope you agree. Because this is the thing. I've been wrestling a lot lately with the, the church. I've been wrestling with God. And just kind of going, God, you know, please open up our eyes, open up our ears, allow us to feel your presence, allow us to know you. And this is why, because I feel in a lot of ways in the church in general, not just Blue Valley, but church all over the place, there's a lot of people that, that are sitting in pews and in chairs right morning, this morning, just ready to check a box. And they miss out. Because I'm not here to just check a box off. I'm here to be together with you all. We say the word church a lot, and a lot of times we, we think the building. But the church is not the building. The church is us. And us is a beautiful thing. right? You might look at me and go, man, you're not beautiful. But no, it really is. The, the church is, is a great thing to be a part of. And, and we say we go to church. Well, no, you don't go to church. You're a part of the church. You guys get to be a part of the body of believers. You go to a movie, you get to be a part of the church. It's a group of people that we live our lives for. We gather each Sunday not to just be entertained, not to just hear a sermon and then critique it and share our experience of the morning. No, we're here to be together and to worship. See, that's why I'm so, uh, I, I word my question with my children so carefully after Sunday mornings. I, I don't say, how was church today? Because I don't want to hear the response, it was good or it was bad. No, but I ask, what did you learn today? Where did you get to serve today? Who did you get to minister to today? And then get to hear their response because we're not here for our own desires, we're here to worship God, worship Jesus, and gather to live for one another. Jesus said the greatest commandment is these, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and do what? To love your neighbor as yourself, and that's what we're here to do. We're here to worship God and to live for each other. So we don't choose churches based off of, you know, if they got good programming or something for our children or I like the worship or the sermon was pretty good. You know, we don't, we don't want to choose a church by that because it's not a commodity. We don't sell and trade churches because of its programming and because things are going well. We're here to love God and love others. So how do we do that? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-4, Paul states it this way, and it's so great. Just, just listen. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts all, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. So God comforts us in all of our pain, in all of our afflictions, in all of our hurts. So that we, listen, listen to this, this is great. 
so that we may be able to comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So when we go through pain, when we go through struggles, when we go through just life, it's for a purpose. And that purpose is to comfort others because we've received comfort from our God. We get to do that as a church, constantly giving our lives away, constantly living for one another. And I want to be a part of a church like that. Do you agree? Yeah. I think we all want to be a part of a church like that. And I see glimpses of it here at Blue Valley, and and I know all of us can look at ourselves and go, man, I could do a little bit better of of giving myself away. I, I I can do better. But can you imagine what this place would look like? Can you imagine what our community would look in here and see? They would look at this church on the corner of 151st and Antioch and go, there is something different about that place. And if they were to walk in our building and be a part of our ministries and be a part of the church, they'd look at us and go, okay, they're forgiving one another. Uh, They're caring for one another. Uh, They're sacrificing for one another. That's different. There's nothing like that around here. This place is amazing, and that's the church, and that's what we see in Acts. That's what we see in the beginning of the church. Now, it might be hard to believe, but in the closing statements of Paul in the book of Romans, we get a glimpse of this. Now, in this uh, chapter 16 of Romans, it's something that we usually probably in our daily Bible reading we skip over um, because it's got a lot of names, and names are hard to pronounce, right? Yes, names are hard to pronounce, and so a lot of times we go, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and and on and on and on. Okay, so very important, though. This, This is a great section of Scripture that we can glean and get a clear picture of the gospel church. Now, what's a gospel church? Well, let's start first with what's the gospel. The gospel is what? The life, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus Christ. It's the good news. It's the fact that God sent his son for us while we are still sinners and died for us so that we can have an eternal relationship with him. That is great news for all of us. And then the church is us. So gospel church is us living in faith in the good news, in the gospel, in Jesus Christ. And so this morning from this text in chapter 16, we're going to see four pretty important characteristics of a gospel church and, and what makes up a gospel church. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 16. And what we'll see in the first 16 verses um, are 26 individuals, two families, and three house churches. And like I said, we're, a lot of times we're tempted to skip over this. And this morning, I would love to dive into everybody's name and who they were and what they meant to Paul and his ministry and all of those types of things, but we don't have time. So I'm going to point out the two or three people that that Paul mentions the most about, all right? And so what we're going to see here, though, is through all of these different people, we see that this group is very diverse. There's diversity within this group of people. So the first thing that we see in a gospel church is a diverse church. So how are they diverse? Well, the first person that we see is Phoebe, all right? Phoebe in chapter 1 and 2. Um, he, he doesn't say to greet her, 
But he says to welcome her, and that, that's a big word here in this section. It says to welcome her in the way, in the Lord, in a way worthy of the saints, and to help her in whatever way she may need. See, Phoebe was probably the one who carried this letter to the church in Rome. She was called a servant of her church, and she had been great help to Paul's ministry. And it was said of her that she was a patron of many, which simply means that she uh, was a woman of high social standing, probably had some wealth because she was able to travel and carry this letter uh, to the church in Rome. So what we see is that she has used her status, she's used her resources her, and her time for the service of the gospel, for the service of of the church. We continue on and we see two more people that Paul wants to greet. And it's Prisca and Aquila, or Priscilla and Aquila. And you're probably familiar with these names if you've read the book of Acts, because that's where Paul meets them. It's a husband and wife, and they had been banished from Rome uh, by Claudius simply for being Jewish. Remember, Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome, and so they were, they were away from their home. And we learn in Acts that Paul met them in Corinth, and they joined his ministry, and they, they followed him, and they went to Ephesus where Paul left them to do ministry. Now, we don't know why they're back in Rome or when they went back to home to Rome, but they were there at this point. And what were they doing? Look, it says, and now they host a church in their home. Paul points out not only that, but that they, they saved his life. They risked their neck for him. So this church in Rome, hey, be, be happy that these people are there with you. Greet them. Tell them that we say hello. Because of all these things, but not only that, but they risked their life for me. That's important to them. It's also important to us because we still have Paul, right, in his letters and what he wrote before that time happened. So we could keep going on, and I, and I need you to, to really go home and open up a study Bible and, and understand each one of these individuals' names. There's so many cool things in ministry that was happening on with all the different people in verses 1 through 16. But what you'll see are names of people who are both Jews and Gentiles. Some are men, some are women, some are married, some are likely single. There are some who are well off. Some of them are slaves. Some were new Christians. Some came to faith before Paul. Some who had great influence. And there's even some that we know nothing about. And it's just their name. So why is this important? This long list of names and the diversity within them highlights the importance and the uniqueness of a gospel church. It really illustrates Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 so well, where, where Paul says, There is neither Greek or Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, because you are all one in Christ. And that's us. As believers and followers in Christ, as a church, we are all one. And so diversity within the church magnifies the gospel. 
which glorifies our Savior who died for us to bring us unity, even within diversity. And that's what's so beautiful about a gospel church is that it's filled with people. It's filled with people who, by the world's view, shouldn't be together. It's filled with all types of people that want to live for each other. So I hope that when you enter this place that you are filled with joy when seeing your brothers and sisters in Christ each Sunday. That you're, you're excited like a little kid when they get a puppy, right? And you're just like, ah, puppy, you know. That you walk in this place and you just go, I am so glad to be with my people. And I'm ready to give myself away to give my time away, to give my giftedness away, to give my resources away for others, just like Phoebe. That you're ready to use your life experience to comfort others and then possibly even lay down your life for others like Priscilla and Aquila. This is what makes the gospel, the church, a gospel church. It's also what attracts people to Jesus, all kinds of people from all kinds of places that are living like Jesus will cause the world around us to ask, what is going on in that place? The next characteristic that we see is in verses 17 through 20, which is a gospel church is vigilant, is vigilant. Read that with me. Verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the, of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, this is kind of weird here, especially in this part of Romans, because Paul just did his greetings. And, and the location of, of this is really unusual, um, and especially for Romans, because he never brings up the idea of false teachers or this topic of false teachers. So we need to ask, why is this here? See, Paul has dealt with this subject of false teachers in many other letters that he has written to churches. So this warning here for the Romans is probably just preemptive. Simply telling the Roman church just to watch out. You might not have this issue now, but you need to be on the lookout. See, false teachers are no different for us today. And we must heed Paul's warnings. Watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So how do we know false teachers? How do we know who they are? Do they dress a certain way? Do they, do they say certain words? Are, there a certain, are they a part of a certain type of church? The best way to know who false teachers are are to know this book. Right, to know it, to understand it, to read this book. And you must read it to know it, but not just know it in your head, but to know it in your heart, to live it out, 
to understand why the Lord is calling us to do certain things. See, look at what Paul warns the Galatians about in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but even if we, so he's talking about himself, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Now, here's the thing, is I could be distorting the gospel right now. I could be fooling you all. And if your whole faith is wrapped up in one person's voice or a couple of preachers' sermons, that's a dangerous place to be. Because people can distort the gospel. That's why we read and study the book of Romans, where Paul lays out a complete understanding of the gospel. That's why it's so important to be a part of discipleship groups, so that you're partnering with other believers and growing in your faith and diving into his word and putting it into practice. That's why we're so intentional with all of our age-graded ministries here at Blue Valley. Our little kids, our littlest kids are learning about the foundation of who God is and setting that in their mind, understanding who God is, and then they graduate and move on up to our big kids ministry where they learn about the church and what's their role in the church and why did God put the church together and, and how do I be a part of the church? And then kids move up from there into our student ministry where they learn about the, that they're made in the image of God and that, that their identity is found in Christ. And to live for him completely. And then they move up into our adult ministry where we say, now it's time to go and multiply. Take everything that you've learned here and go and put it into practice. Telling others about how great our God is using your gifts and your talents and your resources to expand the kingdom of God. See, our goal here is not to just build a huge church. We would love to see that happen, and many come to, save, come to a saving knowledge of, of faith through Christ. We would love to see that happen, but it's not for us. We're not just trying to entertain and to smooth talk and to, and to use flattery to deceive others to just build a big building to serve our own appetites. No, we want you all to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. We want to make sure that you know Jesus, that you worship Jesus, that you make much of Jesus. We want to be vigilant to keep the gospel the focus. It keeps us unified. And hopeful. Hopeful in what? Well, read verse 20, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We, we know that. So we always stay focused on Jesus and the gospel that you learn from this book. The next characteristic that we see is that a gospel church is networked. Read with me verses 21 through 23. And here comes names, so I'm going to try my best, right? Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greets you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me, and to the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother, Cortus, greet you. Now, this is kind of fun. 
Because I can imagine Paul sitting there while Tertius is writing uh, this letter. And, and by the way, it says Tertius, I who write this letter. He, he was just scribe. He was just, you know, hearing the words and writing them down for Paul, right? Um, as those guys were sitting around and you could tell Paul was kind of wrapping up this letter. You, you hear Timothy kind of pipe up. Hey, tell them that I say hi too, right? Make sure, make sure you tell them I say hi. And the others say, yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Put my name in there. Right? Make sure that they know that we're all here saying hi to you guys. But more importantly, what we see in this section is that Paul is not a lone ranger. Right? He did not do ministry alone. He surrounded himself with others to strengthen his ministry, to encourage him, to support him. Timothy was his right-hand man, his, his closest ministry associate. Tertius was the one he trusted to write his letter. Gaius hosted Paul in the church in Corinth where Paul was when he was writing this letter. Erastus was a city treasurer and he probably had a lot of clout in the city. And there was others that we're not going to name, but they had so much to do with Paul. But the point here is that Paul was well connected. He sought out others to reach people. He sought out others to help encourage the church and to connect churches together for the kingdom of God. And we see an example of this by the Gentile churches. Remember, they were collecting funds to send off to Jerusalem. And this is also the same thing that Paul is doing with the Romans. He's saying, hey, Roman church, would you help me to send me off further, even to Spain, to share the gospel? Now, if we want to become a gospel church, we must do the same. We'd be, be a church that is networked, doing ministry with other ministries and other organizations and other churches. We need to partner with other churches and groups that can help us to do more and to care more and to reach more people. So what you're actually seeing here is the multiply vision is nothing new. This, this isn't new to the New Testament church. No, it's something that's been going on. Paul was actively establishing campuses locally and planting autonomous churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. He was just done in AD 64, right? We've got to 2028. So what do we do? We network with people. We network with Midwestern Seminary and Compassion International and the North American Mission Board and our India team. So what's amazing is this. When you think about networking, what's amazing is this, is that God wants to use us. Think about that. The creator of the world, God, desires to use us to make an impact on the world. So have you ever dropped a pin on a map on your phone? And, and then backed out, and backing out is this way, right? And backed out to see, okay, there's my house. Now I see Overland Park. Now I see Kansas. Now I see the United States, and I back out to where I see the whole world. And you kind of go, man, we're just kind of a small little speck on this globe. And that's so true. That's who we are. But it's amazing that God wants to use us to make a global impact, and it's happening 
is happening, the impact we're making in India, the impact we're making in Brazil, the impact we're making in, in communities, even here in Kansas, it's so awesome to be a part of, and I don't want you to miss out. That's why you can't just come here and check a box. You get engaged. You become networked. You be a part of what God is doing. And then finally, a gospel church is grounded. Read with me 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So Paul closes with a doxology. What's a doxology? Simply a praise to God. The only thing left to do in the book of Romans is to praise God. After reading the book of Romans with all of its depth and wisdom, the final word is praise. And as my neighbor says, uh, that is a two-handed thank you Jesus moment, right? Not that we're at the end of the book of Romans, but no, because of all that we have clearly seen that the Lord has done, our response is praise. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 25, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus. So in your journey of following Christ, where do you find your strength? In your journey of following Christ, where do you find peace? Where does joy come from? It should come through the gospel. In the gospel alone. It's not something that I can do on my own. I can't create strength. I can't create joy. I can't create peace that is everlasting. If it was, if it was possible for me to do it myself, then Christ died for nothing. See, the gospel is not something that you learn once when you're little and then you move on to deeper topics. The gospel is the deepest topic that we can know and understand. Every day, the gospel amazes me. Every day, the gospel changes me. And it should do that for you as well. Let's do this. Just say God. God. Let that sink in for a second. God. It's a name that the Jews wouldn't even speak. They would just say Hashem, Hashem, which simply meant the name, you know, the, the name. They weren't going to say the holy name of God and just let it come out of their sinful lips. And I think we need to get back to that ourselves and not just flippantly throw around the name of God or even the name of Jesus or his church. Jesus. Jesus is that name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, one day every knee will bow. Every knee on, in heaven and on earth and under the earth to the glory of God the Father. 
So stop for one second. God, I come into your presence with a hundred million angels who are crying out before you, holy, holy, holy. You sent your son, Jesus, to suffer for me. And I get to come into your presence? God, you're right here with me? God, you sent your son to die for me, a sinner? A person who is completely against you? You demonstrated your love for me that while I was still a sinner, you died for me? Church, we should be blown away by that every day, every morning. And that should shape us every day, every day, even more so when we understand that the gospel is a gift that God gave his son so we could be reconciled with him for eternity. It's a gift. You don't pay somebody back when they give you a gift. And God's not looking to be paid back. He wants us to be in a relationship with him. And we see in verse 25 and 26 that the gospel was God's plan all along. And the gospel's for everyone, for all people. It's God's sovereign plan. So the gospel is for you. So if you're in this room this morning or online, and you think that there's no way that God can accept me, all the things that I've done, the bad choices that I've made. Or maybe you're even in this room or online, you're like, I, you know, I've been sitting in church my whole life and I've never surrendered my life to Christ and completely trusted in Jesus and the gospel and made the gospel the, the only thing that I live for. Then today's the day. Don't leave this room without making sure that you have a relationship with Jesus. See, this is the scariest verse that I read in the Bible, and it's, it's Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. So depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a scary verse. It kind of looks like this. I know a lot about Salvador Perez. Anybody here Salvi fans? Yeah, good, awesome. All right. Salvador Perez hit 454-foot home run this year. Uh, Salvi's a seven-time all-star. He's a five-time gold glove winner. He was on the DL this year because he hurt his thumb pretty bad and had surgery and all that kind of stuff. He's back playing now. He's actually on the road. Right? I know all of this stuff about Salvi. Now, if I walked up to his house and rang his doorbell and, and he answered the door, I do that because he's huge. Um, and I said, Salvi, check this out 450 foot home run. Way to go, buddy. That was awesome. Uh, I, I know all this information about you. And I shared all that information. And I said, Now, let's go in and eat. Salvi would look at me and go, Dude, I have no clue who you are. Get off my property. See, we can know a lot about Jesus. We can know a lot about God. And that knowledge is not going to get us anywhere. 
until we are living for him, until we have sacrificed our life for him and we live in a relationship with him. Coming to church is not going to get you to heaven. Your relationship with Jesus is the only thing that counts. And so Paul was very clear throughout this whole letter that he says, your righteousness will earn you nothing. Your knowledge will earn you nothing. The only right response to the gospel is to respond with faith. And that's faith through Jesus Christ. And then you will be saved. And then when that happens, then God is pleased and God is glorified because it's all about him now. And it has nothing to do with me. And then I can go on and live for everybody else. So if we're going to be a gospel church, it takes us being gospel people, living our life as a living sacrifice to God and one another, and then allowing him to do the work through us. So let us live lives, sacrifice to him, bringing him glory and allowing him to do a mighty work through us. Pray with me.